Welcome to the New Thinking for a New World podcast, where we explore the most pressing issues that are challenging and changing our societies. We are looking for new thinking and new solutions wherever we can find them. Listen as host Alan Stoga, the Talberg Foundation's chairman, challenges his guests for analysis, ideas and actions. Together, we can help make our world at least a bit better. Hello, I'm Alan Stoga, chairman of the Telberg Foundation. Welcome to the special edition of New Thinking for New World. From practically every perspective, Europe is in a bad place. Inflation, energy crisis, recession, political tensions, social tensions, the war against Ukraine, and all the consequences from that war that we're yet to see. Perhaps most importantly, key elements of Europe's grand strategy are in trouble. Dependence on cheap Russian energy has ended catastrophically. Reliance on soft power while effectively disarming has proven to be a bad idea in the face of President Putin's view of Russia's future. Deep economic and trade ties with China might turn out at least as badly as the United States and China move increasingly towards confrontation. The relationship between France and Germany has been central to Europe's success over the last decades. Regardless of who's in power in Berlin or in Paris, that relationship has been a core driver of Europe's success. Now, however, those countries are obviously out of sync. Their leaders lack a shared vision of where Europe should go or how to get there. Their political and business elites seem increasingly at odds. The mood is bad and getting worse. The question, of course, is how Europe can cope with all of the barbarians at the gate if the French and Germans cannot imagine a new positive relationship. So today we're going to discuss Europe through the lens of France and Germany. To do that, we have Laura Manville, who's a senior reporter at Le Figaro with considerable expertise on European and Russian politics, and Friedbert Pfluger, a former German parliamentarian and state secretary for defense. So let's start this at 100,000 feet and then gradually descend towards reality and earth. Why? If you agree, are your two countries so out of sync with where Europe should and can go? Laura, may I ask you to start? Thank you very much, first of all, uh, Alan, for inviting me to this uh, discussion uh, on the future of Europe in a in a time of such big danger, and at the same time, I would say, a time of opportunity because uh, everything is in, as you said, is is in flux. Everything is is unraveling in a way and changing. So, of course, uh, we, we need to take the time to think through what's going on and what has gone wrong in order to uh, uh, plan and, and, and be uh, in time for constructing the future. First thing I, I want to say before addressing your question, uh, you know, about France and Germany is to... Um, to uh, to stress again, I know you don't want to talk too, too much about Ukraine, but to, to stress to what extent Ukraine is a game changer uh, and uh, that we have actually in France, in Germany, in Europe in general and in America, uh, um, you know, participated in a, a total strategic disaster uh, because we overlooked the threat that Russia represented. There was an absolute uh, mistaken approach to Russia. And uh, there was so much blindness, so much self-satisfaction, I would say, also corruption in a way, or at least rapaciousness, you know, to make a lot of money that we we just behaved in, in I would say, in a very strategic lightness. And there were um, many voices actually, you know, sort of uh, shouting and screaming in the desert concerning what was coming, the coming catastrophe coming from Russia, but it was not heard. And I think there is a real autopsy of the mistakes to be made before we we move on. I mean, or as we move on to addressing the future, because without you know this autopsy, I don't think we can actually uh, get out of the paradigms which sort of uh, led to the to the catastrophe. And uh, the second thing I want to say is that you know before addressing Franco-German, we have to tell uh, that uh, the Central and East Europeans were right. They were right in their in their uh, you know uh, um, vision 
of, of the threat coming from the East, from Russia, the Putin's Russia. And uh, they screamed also in the desert, not only the experts in the West or journalists or, you know, different uh, think tankers. And there was a lot of condescendence, I would say, and blindness, both in Berlin and in Paris. And uh, I, I, the, the fact that Eastern Europe, Central Europe was right, actually changes the game in Europe. And it absolutely is moving, you know, um, it gives them now a growing position of strength because they were ready. And I think they have answered the call of the Ukrainian crisis quicker than we did. Uh, and their role is going to, uh, you know, uh, be uh, increasing, I think. And I, in this same basket, I would say that uh, we have to, the, the third element I want to, to stress is that we are seeing this, scent, this sort of center of gravity is moving to, 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 uh, to the east, and, and, and we have the emergence of Ukraine as an absolute game changer for European uh, future. Uh, this is, the, you know, the, the title of, of our uh, talk, and because we have 44 million people emerging on the horizon who were not, in fact, really on our mental and geopolitical maps. We, we we actually always overlooked Ukraine. We sort of went over and 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 saw you know the Russian the Russian power the Russian geopolitical weight, but we didn't see Ukraine. And Ukraine is there, and it's uh, according to a French colonel who's uh, actually become very famous on French TV because he's he's uh, actually uh, you know observing every day and giving comments on, on, on uh, Ukraine's uh, military operations. And he says that Ukraine is at the moment the strongest army in Europe, not the French, uh, not uh, the German, uh, it's the Ukrainian army uh, in terms of, you know, uh, capacity, uh, combat readiness, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's maybe a bit provocative to hear such thing, but I think it's really interesting. As Laura just said, we are in we're we're in a place where we didn't nobody expected to be. We all knew there were problems in Europe. We all knew there were issues in Europe. Uh, we all knew after Brexit, a word that doesn't get mentioned anymore, that the locus of gravity in Europe would shift to the east. We didn't know that this would come along and shift it even faster and and perhaps further. Um, so how do you look at again from a hundred thousand feet, Friedbert? How, how are you looking at at the moment? Well, thank you. Alan. In the moment, Chancellor Scholz is visiting China. And unfortunately, he is there alone. Uh, I don't know which uh, let him, uh, well, not take on the invitation of Mr. Macron, let the two uh, go together. I think it would have been a wonderful sign of German-French unity and a strong signal towards the world if the French and the German leader would go together to China. To do this alone is, in my point of view, in this situation, a mistake. And, uh, uh, well, I believe that the world is heading, unfortunately, in a G2 direction. Uh, there is a growing polarization between the United States of America and China. And uh, I don't know if any one of you have read Graham Allison's wonderful book about the disdained, disdained for war, the Thucydides trap. It says that uh, China and the US are going against each other and it will end most probably in a, in a big world war. Uh, like in the antiquity, it was the incumbent Sparta and the challenger Athens who inevitably, almost inevitably, uh, came to war with each other. And I believe this polarization is the greatest threat to mankind. And what is the European position? The European position, in my point of view, should be one of a moderator. It should be one of uh, well, at least we should formulate our interests. We don't do that. Uh, we, we go alone to Mr. Xi Peng, uh, who has just been reelected and who is a stronger dictator than ever. And he has clearly made uh, 
uh, said that he wants to invade uh, sooner or later Taiwan. So in my point of view, the main challenge is a G2 world, and I would favor, and I absolutely believe that in general, the majority of the French people want the same thing, a multipolar world. Of course, with strong ties uh, within the Western countries, in the, in the democratic camp, strong ties with NATO and the EU, but also a strong European voice. And for the time being, I only hear that uh, Europe is... Uh, Brussels is echoing what is coming from the United States. And uh, we have no weight uh, in, in the relationship. And the U.S. has become so strong with this war. Militarily, it has always been number one. But it's strengthened again. Germany bought immediately when the war started F-35 uh, fighter planes in the U.S., we have our own fighter planes in Europe and our own uh, developments. Uh, secondly, digitally, U.S. is stronger than uh, anybody else. Uh, now, uh, the United States is also the energy power number one, the energy exporter number one. A few years ago, it was an importer of oil and gas. Now it brings uh, LNG to the world. It sells coal to the world. And with this new I. Our A program, this Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, which pushes $369 billion into the energy market, into uh, renewables, into hydrogen, it will also be in this field where Europe was in lead, become the number one, and European companies are already shifting uh, their investments to the United States. So we see the danger with this war, the danger of deindustrialization. We have no cheap any, uh, energy anymore. And it's it's very easy to say, well, this was a dependence. It was the only way for Europeans to be competitive. Uh, and therefore, I believe we are heading in this dangerous direction. And if I then imagine Donald Trump becoming president in the in the United States in two years, uh, I, I think this is a world that we in Europe cannot wish for. Clearly, you've both said, as I did in my introduction, that Europe's in a bad place. The signal of the trip is a, is, is a bad one. Um, the recent, the noise out of the recent meeting between the chancellor and the president certainly did not sound like there was agreement on where Europe should go. So we understand the problems. Laura, how do we get, can we get to someplace better? How do we get France and Germany back on the same page? Is that possible? Actually, uh, I, uh, on the one hand, I do agree with many uh, things that were said by Friedberg Flüger, uh, you know, about, you know, the necessity to uh, face China together, uh, the need for reindustrialization of Europe uh, and, you know, making choices that would favor uh, European industry uh, and not uh, necessarily American industry when it's uh, talking about the, you know, the, the plane of the future or the tank of the future. And, and, that, and there is actually a, a huge worry in France uh, about the, the future German choices on, this, uh, on that matter. But <clears throat> at the same time, I think we should not uh, uh, position uh, our discussion uh, of um, of the challenges ahead in terms of uh, uh, are we going to exist as europe versus the us and uh, and 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 you know and and fearing that uh, the us uh, that everything is going to be about the us and china because we are facing, despite the fact that uh, uh, we do want to exist as Europe, we are facing uh, the same threats. I mean, what is happening in, in China and the way the Chinese are, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, investing massively in Europe uh, and uh, you're trying to control more and more and, and using that technology and all these elements uh, should, uh, you know, lead us to uh, to think through this this threat 
uh, together with the Americans. I mean, I, I, I understand that there is this uh, also this French, you know, worry that we should not align, etc. But it's the same as for as for Ukraine. At the moment, I don't believe that the question is to uh, to try to uh, to have a, a you know a specific European voice. We we have to defend our interest, of course, but. Uh, we, we we have to we will defend our interest if we are strong militarily. For instance, what I, I, I see is that without the Americans, we would be in deep trouble. Uh, Ukraine would be down, and us we, we would be on the front line of a, of a potential aggression with the Russians. And and what we have to uh, realize is that we disarmed. We disarmed since the end of the Cold War. This is this was an absolute catastrophe that we thought we were going to use a soft power and exist, you know, under the umbrella of the Americans while criticizing them for putting this umbrella. And, and what I understand is that there is certainly a, a transactional or a discussion to be led with the Americans. They, they do want to concentrate on China. Uh, you, you asked me about this Franco-German thing. I think that we have two crises. We have the German crisis, which is a crisis of the model, of the economic model, and, and the model of being German that they chose for so many uh, years. And suddenly they see this model is down. They cannot continue to buy this cheap energy from Russia and that the model is not sustainable. They has the problem with China. So they have to re, they have started to rethink totally what they should do. And, 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 and I'm, I understand that they are still under shock. But at the same time, I see them at least, uh, you know, rhetorically aligning a, 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 a strikingly new approach to strategic, uh, to strategy and politics, because they they're talking about you know a military revolution, uh, putting 100 billion dollars uh, uh, for a, a new uh, army in Germany, uh, thinking about uh, a, a Europe that would be re uh, moving east. You know they want to enlarge it. So so this is this is strategically bewildering. Um, Laura described the problems with the strategy, the rethink that's going on, the notion of rearming, uh, all of that takes time. Uh, you rebuild an army, it takes a decade. It doesn't happen overnight. So how, how do you see the German challenge? Let me first of all say so that you, you understand where I stand. I, I don't want to have uh, quarrels or difficulties with the United States. I've, I'm, I've always been a strong believer in the alliance, in the alliance. Uh, was also in my active time as a politician, one of the front runners of NATO enlargement and of uh, strong military forces. So when I was deputy minister of, of defense, I always said, well, we should not only look for out of area capabilities, but also for capabilities for for uh, defending ourselves. Uh, so, so that uh, the continent, most of us did underestimate the uh, continuous threats that are here in Europe, uh, I think that uh, is without question. It's also without question that after this brutal attack uh, of Putin uh, towards uh, Ukraine, we cannot uh, go back to the energy agenda as it was, even if uh, a, a peace treaty would, would be reached, which, which I do not see on the horizon. But even if that happens, uh, this is a clear signal. We have to diversify much more green gas, hydrogen, uh, e-fuels, uh, a lot of other possibilities, of course, renewables, uh, energy efficiency. So we need a new energy policy without any doubt. Uh, so uh, definitely there were mistakes. But what I'm saying now is uh, we should define our European interests, not against the US, but self-confident. For instance, I always liked the French idea uh, of Monsieur Juppé in the times of Charles de Gaulle, who said, let's do some dissuasion concertée. Let's bring the Germans and, and Europe under the nuclear umbrella of France. And don't underestimate this nuclear umbrella. 
it is uh, not as strong as the United States or Britain uh, or, 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 or Russia, but it is very effective. And I, I think we have lost that debate. Uh, Monsieur Macron in the in the Merkel years, a uh, few years ago, made a lot of, in my point of view, very constructive uh, suggestions of bringing Europe closer together, speaking with one voice in foreign affairs. Uh, the response from Germany was not sufficient. Uh, uh, Energy-wise, uh, I believe it was a mistake of the Germans uh, to criticize France time and again for, for nuclear, for going nuclear um, uh, with their energy, uh, but at the same time, be very open for uh, every power they could get from uh, nuclear power plants from France. Uh, the same is true right now. We criticize fracking in Germany, and with fracking, we could uh, uh, do a lot to diversify uh, from, from Russian gas, from other gas sources, but we buy at the same time LNG, with fracked gas from the United States. So there are so many um, uh, problems uh, that, that, that we see and which we have to, to fight together. But a stronger European voice within this alliance is something which I would like. And I have, I must say this again, Mr. Biden, in my point of view, is a very smart politician. Uh, he is doing economically better, digitally better, militarily better. Uh, nevertheless, he might lose the the the, the uh, midterm elections and even lose uh, in uh, in the next presidential uh, election. But the agenda of the United States, whether it is Biden or Trump, Trump is more forceful. Biden is more diplomatic, but it is an America first agenda, and we should be very very looking to it that we uh, try to to uh, look to it that we be, remain partners and not become vassals. Laura, you started to say that Germany's in a bad place, but France is in a worse place. Yes, I, I think France is in a bad place and maybe worse place because uh, it's the whole vision of Europe, of the French, which is falling apart at this moment because the, uh, the 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 European project. Uh, excuse me if it sounds a bit uh, arrogant, but I think the I think the French the European project was a French project. In fact, from the start, it was a French project to put a, a kind of framework, a kind of I would say nearly straight jacket on Germany after the end of the war, and the and make sure uh, you know things would be okay and Germany would stay you know. Uh, in the realm of uh, European democratic politics. I think the French, the, the, the sort of uh, unspoken truth about the French vision of Europe was that this project, this Europe, was going to become some kind of su supranational project. It was to go beyond, it was a post-national project in the, in the I, I think, in the heads of practically the whole French elite aside from the sovereignists who, who emerged, uh, you know, quite recently in, in a way, you know, as vocal actors on the political stage. And so that means that we, we projected this idea that it would become a, a post-national Europe. And, and, and also, you know, the un, unsaid truth that, that was that, you know, the engine of this, uh, of this Europe was uh, uh, the economy of Germany and the French were at the helm of uh, the strategic and political decisions, and 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 now this with this sort of uh, revolutionary situation that we see, uh, the the you know and and the, the Germans now you know recovering in, in because of this sort of uh, electoral shock, this shock of of the current situation, uh, feeling the urge to uh, recover a, a, a real military policy, at least that's what is spoken. I'm not sure all the military people uh, agree in Germany that the politicians are sufficiently active in uh, putting this uh, uh, rhetorical aims into action, but it's just the beginning. I think it's, it sends a, a, a shockwave in France and a strategic shockwave because the French have to rethink everything for them. In fact, I think that in this Franco-German couple, the, the real lover of the couple was the French. 
the French. And the French, they are like a lover who is suddenly feels fooled because uh, he feels that the, the other person didn't really love him and is leaving. And, and I think that uh, the French have to be more realistic in, uh, in the fact that we will probably never go beyond a Europe of nations, even if Europe can get strengthened in, 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 in many ways on many projects and, and project power on, on, on the important issues as Fried, uh, Friedbert Flüger, uh, you know, advocates. And I totally agree with him that we should not become vassals, but to not become vassals, we have to be strong. And one of the problems of the French is that in order to um, be able to be a, a, a key player in, in the future of, of uh, European politics and a credible one, they have to uh, regain economic power. We have lost uh, an important part of our uh, you know, power of influence because we are losing economically to Germany. We, are, we, we have uh, you know, uh, replaced an industrial policy by an economy of debt. We are deeply indebted. We have lots of problems, and I think we are less credible. And at the and at the same thing, I think at the same time, I think that you know, at the moment when when Germany, you know, is is uh, is clearly the economic uh, you know powerhouse in Europe, and is intending to become a military powerhouse, which is for the French quite big news and difficult to uh, assess, even if we pushed for it. Now that it's maybe happening, there is a, a worry, let's say, and, and sort of a bewilderment. I think that the French also have a lot of cards to play in this game to balance everything, because the, the Central Europe is, of course, uh, politically and economically, I would say, the, the, the natural region of Germany. But there, there are a lot of resentment towards Germany in this region. There are lots of tensions and, uh, you know, uh, the, the Poles are trying to, uh, at the moment, you know, uh, talk to the French to rebalance the, the, the relationship with Germany. Same thing in, in Prague. Uh, if we want Europe, as you say, not to be a vassal, we have to gain, the, uh, to uh, win the, 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 the game on Ukraine, because this is the crisis we are actually faced with. If we if we uh, win this crisis, the Ukrainian crisis, then we can talk about having a strong Europe as a strong actor, etc. And and uh, and we should not uh, be mistaken by that that uh, we have to win this this uh, actually we have to win this uh, crisis on Ukrainian side because at the moment it is impossible to. Uh, to, to, to construct a policy with Russia and to, to, to plan a peace uh, with Russia without this war to be won. I mean, the, the hurricane, the neo-totalitarian hurricane, which is blowing from Russia, has to be stopped. And indeed, what we have to recognize, and here I'm talking as a, an expert of Russia because I covered Russia for 30 years, and that we have underestimated the, the, um, the fact that in 1991, we didn't get out of the Cold War. Actually, in 1991, we didn't do what we had to do. So it will ha we will have to, to settle for, for, for good, you know, the situation. And, and, uh, and so with Russia and after the war is, is, is finished, to reestablish, you know, uh, a, a peace which is based on, on, uh, on, on, on the trial of communism, on a reassessment of Putinism, and maybe trial of Putinism, Putinism and you know, on, on, on justice. My fear is uh, that uh, this claim for a complete victory and complete surrender of Russia is not realistic. Before they will uh, uh, concede a defeat, I fear that uh, really the nuclear option is on the table. So uh, I, I believe it will be wise. Of course, we cannot let Ukraine lose that war, but at a certain moment, I believe we have to find uh, uh, some sort of, of uh, peace treaty, some sort of, of uh, alignment 
Um, uh, by the way, I, I do not know what comes after Putin. I, I fear that will become worse. That will become uh, warlords, uh, much more radical people. So I'm, I'm uh, the the idea of you know always putting new weapons, always being uh, uh, tougher, uh, new sanctions on the table, uh, and believe that one day Russia will will uh, will concede complete uh, defeat uh, seems to me uh, very naive I, but how, I but how do you how do you see no, no 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 i speak and and you, you you i also listen to i i doubt that this is the right course and it is a very dangerous course secondly when it comes and i, I doubt that it is the french position uh, it's not macron's position and he, and Scholz were very close with each other that they always tried to find ways of uh, diplomatic keeping doors open. And I, I would encourage both to, to continue with that. My, my second point is you said that, that it was only the French who loved this, this uh, couple uh, idea. No, that's not true. Uh, I, I was educated my whole life politically. Uh, and I saw that from all political parties, the German French Uh, engine and not only the engine, the friendship um, is the the best and the most important thing that happened after the war, bringing two arch enemies together. And I've experienced it hundreds of times in France. And uh, well, that is not only one-sided. Uh, I'm I'm sad if you say that this is the feeling now in France. We have to work very hard on it that we overcome that because I agree. Without this engine being uh, on track again, we have never a chance to be a, a strategic player in the world. And then, of course, it is true that we need the United States as we do not want to become Russian or Chinese or, or have another uh, democratic model. No, we don't want that. And therefore, this German-French thing is so enormously important. My last point, you talked about the necessity of becoming economically strong again. What we see in the moment is deindustrialization, uh, at least in my country, uh, we, because of higher energy prices. Uh, well, the, a, a company like BASF, the chemical uh, industries, the automotive industries, aluminum, steel, all the heavy in, uh, paper, all the heavy industries relied on Russian cheap gas. And you can easily say that was a mistake. The German economy wanted it. It worked for 50 years. Our European partner lived with this. Many profited from it. So this breaks down. But the, the consequence should be clear to us. The consequence is that huge companies cannot afford their energy bills anymore. By the way, also not normal people, and that that will also pose a, a social revolutionary problem. But companies will leave the continent and will go elsewhere. So uh, the the result of this war is America stronger than before, Russia weak, Europe very weak, and uh, China very strong. So it's uh, heading towards a G2 world. That's the outcome of this, and I think we should. Try our utmost to stop it and not just sit there and say, we have to win. We have to do everything what Mr. Zelensky wants. Yes, we have to take them very serious. We have to support them. But we have to make also clear that, uh, well, for instance, we as Germans get a lot of, of criticism from Ukraine. But we are badly suffering. Our industries, our people are badly suffering. And for us, inflation rates, that's that is all very difficult to bear and we pay a price for this war. If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org donate. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org donate. So let's leave the war just for a second, because I'd like to move to more to practical matters. Obviously, we are in a bad place. Obviously, both your countries are in bad places. How do we get out? What practically practical ideas? Who should do what? 
to try to recreate a vision for Europe, to recreate the practicality of, of France and Germany working together, working separately to solve their problems, but working together to solve Europe's problems. Is that possible? Or are we just in one of these death spirals that Europe's best days are in the past? Laura? Well, it seems to me that the, the, the you know the the way things are evolving is going to create uh, more you know uh, challenges for this relationship. I mean, if we are realistic and talking to some French uh, you know people in uh, uh, from different circles, Europeans, they are mentioning that uh, they have the the uh, the very strong uh, feeling that uh, Germany at the moment is playing you know on on. Uh, for instance, on on defense issue, uh, industry issues against the French, uh, you know, against the French, uh, the French being the adversary on these issues, and uh, the the fact that they you know chose to uh, uh, the project which was not you know the project agreed with the French on um, missile defense that they uh, favored, as uh, Friedrich Fluger mentioned, uh, the F thirty five. Uh, Etc. I mean, they, that that seems to uh, to threaten actually what was the uh, uh, seen as the uh, uh, very important uh, field of uh, of uh, European defense. So if if uh, it continues and 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 this uh, Franco-German uh, plane and and tank is of the future is not uh, defended, I think it will be the end of European defense. And uh, as a uh, uh, Friedrich Friedbert said, uh, uh, indeed, it plays in the hands, you know, of other players and the and the Americans. So, but um, so I, I do believe that it's it's a, it's a, it's a big problem. There is one thing I wanted to add to this whole mix, you know, of very indeed uh, dangerous, you know, trends that we have both, you know, summed up is that. Um, in fact, this we are in a, all the more in the bad place because we are at the confluence of two crises. Actually, we have the geopolitical crisis coming from uh, Russia's threat and Russian aggression against Ukraine, which is putting everything in in flux and chaos. But we also have a very deep uh, crisis, uh, uh, political. Uh, I would say even civilizational, even uh, uh, and a disruption, you know, a, a gaping a, a gap, a sort of growing gap between the elites and the people within our societies. Uh, in the West, we have a democratic crisis, and and I think that Putin would never have invaded Ukraine if he hadn't considered we were extremely weak. And I think that uh, indeed we will not be able. To, to to be a, a strong powerhouse, you know, with a strategic game, if we don't solve our own issues, and it's the same, and and the Americans actually are also under threat from this point of view, because we are uh, deeply divided, and we we are, I would even say, in a state of hemiplegic. Uh, disease, you know, that one part of the political spectrum in our societies, uh, it's a case in France, but I think it's a, it's a case of, across Europe, is um, able, is obsessed with the question of, uh, for instance, you know, the, the consequences of, of Islamism in our societies, which is a, a, a very deep existential problem for us. And you know, and mass migration continuing and disrupting our societies, and and the other part of the political spectrum, and that le leads the the people who are worried, and especially on the far right, the right, etc., to consider Mr. Putin as a partner, and and even uh, hoped that he could be an, a solution, and not facing this threat, they didn't want to face the threat of Russia. And on the other side of the political spectrum, you have the ones who don't want to consider. Uh, the 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 internal problems inside our society and total denial of this of these problems. I agree with much what you said, uh, and uh, I I concede that it is very difficult to see how a peace treaty could could look like in the moment. Uh, at least I hope for some signals. Uh, uh, we have the uh, G20 uh, meeting in in Bali. Uh, at least some some signals that one 
thinks of a possible solution that one wants to prevent further escalation. But perhaps that's an illusion. I, I agree it is very difficult, but also difficult is your course in just continuing and saying, well, we have to win this war. This might also lead, in my point of view, in a, in a catastrophe. What can we do? That was Ellen's question. And uh, as, as I said, I believe this is absolutely necessary that the two countries come together, uh, Germany and France. And perhaps they need, you know, some, some education, especially the German chancellor, who is new, still new on, in, in, in the field of international affairs. All chancellors and all presidents, whether they liked each other or not, have understood uh, in post-war history since 63, the Elysee um, Treaty, uh, that they have to become friends. And sooner or later, that was possible. Uh, even some, you know, Helmut Schmidt and Giscard, completely different types, but they really managed to come very close to each other. Kohl and Mitterrand, uh, Schmidt and Chirac, uh, Schröder and Chirac. So, so you, you, you name it, it never was, uh, uh, at the beginning we had, deep uh, difficulties between Sarkozy and, and Mrs. Merkel. Uh, a little bit later, they were, Mar Mar uh, what was it called, Merkozy. Uh, so, so they were very close with each other. So they probably have to meet in Aix-en-Provence or somewhere in a, in a little village in Provence without press, uh, stay there for uh, three days with the very closest advisors and come out with a common agenda uh, how to fight deindustrialization, how to establish European defense, how to save uh, a European defense uh, uh, capabilities, uh, how to deal with the United States, with China, and so on. Uh, that If that doesn't work, we, uh, I agree, and here we are completely uh, agreeing with each other, Law, uh, then I agree we will not be a player, but uh, others will play with us. So a week ago, we had a conversation about the future of Europe uh, with without with, with a Spaniard and and a, and a Swede, and it was fascinating that they they agreed that the Franco-German relationship is in trouble, but they went beyond that and argued that the new Europe must be a Europe or could be a Europe is maybe a better way to put it, not driven by Franco-German uh, the relationship. Uh, that may be wishful thinking uh, because these two economies, your two economies, are by far the largest in, in Europe. Uh, but absent what you just said, Friedbert, absent a coming together both within each of your countries, but also between your countries, um, then indeed the rest are left to figure out a Europe that is no longer driven by German economy and French imagination, um, which has been the case for decades, is a possibility. But what do you think? Alan, Alan if I may, may answer to that, German-Franco relationship never meant, for instance, for Helmut Kohl, uh, just to concentrate on Germany and France and dictate that to the others. But uh, how it really worked was uh, that the French and the Germans had some difficulties and then they aligned with other countries and everyone brought the Italians, the Spaniards, the Northern Europeans into the room. Uh, Jean-Claude Juncker once told me the enormous strength of Helmut Kohl was that he never did muscle flex in the, in the room. When he sat together with the heads of state of the uh, other EU countries, he acted, as a matter of fact, as if he were from Luxembourg. So uh, everyone knew that it was not Luxembourg, but Germany. But uh, what, what Mr. Scholz is now doing, and I, 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 I'm not saying this for party political reasons, um, he, he plays again this strength card. And that's very bad because the German-French relationship can only function if it is accepted by the rest, if they see it as, a, as an uh, added value. Uh, it would have been wonderful to, to bring the French, uh, the, the Poles into this German-French thing, as uh, we have tried with the Weimar Triangle. 
And that has worked quite well. I always said Poland is our French, our France in the East. Uh, so we hope that Poland would be a constructive partner. Unfortunately, uh, with this government that they have right now, they are not. So that is very, very difficult uh, in the moment. But again, Scholz and Macron with their closest advisors should meet without press for a longer time and then come out with a, a common vision of Europe. And I think that's possible. Well, do you think it's possible? I, I think that uh, uh, it is possible to, uh, to uh, show, uh, you know, <laughs> political will, but uh, I think it's going to be complicated. I think uh, that, and I think that uh, it, it has to remain, a, 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 you know, an absolute aim, you know, to, to continue this relationship as 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 well as we can. But I think we should not also, as as uh, Friedberg said, I think that the uh, uh, it's not the exclusive couple at the same time. I think that uh, indeed Poland is should be an important uh, partner, and uh, I am of the idea that uh, you know, despite that, uh, uh, you know, the Polish government is not particularly uh, uh, liked, you know, across the the, uh, the Europe, Western Europe, they have proved during the crisis with Ukraine that they were a, a very important player. And they 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 are you know uh, um, playing a, a super important role militarily at the moment, you know supplying a, a lot of aid to Ukraine, uh, welcoming uh, very heroically you know uh, millions of uh, of uh, Ukrainian refugees. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Friedberg was uh, telling us that uh, we are suffering from the crisis. Yes, we do. We are suffering from the crisis and Germany is suffering. But they the, do more. The no Poles, doubt. They do the more. Poles are suffering much more. And what I would say is that we have to recognize that uh, you, I think you said we are paying the price of this war. But what I think that the problem that the West Europeans have to realize that they have they had totally forgotten is that yes, there there are moments when you have to pay a price to get to peace. And and uh, and we are at one of these moments, and we are very lucky that at the moment the Ukrainians are paying the 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 the, the price of blood, and we only have to pay the price of gas or the price of uh, of uh, you know electricity and or uh, you know uh, raising uh, ha having more weapons, producing more weapons, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it, it could be worse. It's what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say, too, that the situation is very dire. It's extremely dangerous. Again, I think we should not. I mean, the, the, the German and French politicians have totally underestimated the dangerosity of this regime. And when you're saying that uh, it could be worse in Russia, uh, I'm not totally. I, there, there is, a, you know, a, a faction, but it, it was actually uh, created and 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 Putin was riding this was riding this fascist actually absolutely fascist ideology which has enveloped and enveloped the the whole elite uh, Russian elite and it's it's very frightening what's going on and it's not over yet so I think we from that point of view I'm, I'm you know you I'm insisting on the fact on the fact that we have to support. Uh, Eastern and Central Europe, and that they should be more and more associated, you know, with the the decision making, because uh, precisely because uh, you know they predicted and uh, they were on the forefront of, of many issues. At, at the same time, I would agree with Anna Palacio because I listened to some excerpts of uh, of the conversation that was taking place, you know, last week, and I think she was very right also to. Uh, remind everyone that uh, the Mediterranean Mediterranean issues are not disappearing, and that our East European friends should be aware that uh, the problems for Europe uh, and and the challenges and and are you know also co coming from the south. Thank you for that. We have time, Friedberg. Would you like to respond to that? But you've put something on the table for our next conversation 
which is values. We've spent the last couple of years in Europe worrying about Eastern values, that Poland's values were different from the values in the West. And we've seen issues over the justice system. We've seen issues over uh, gender rights. We've seen all sorts of issues which have faded into the background with the more existential question of war, um, but are still there. So for a next for a future webinar, we're going to have to have that conversation. But Friedbert, we're out of time. So last thought, how do we go to a better place? Well, I, I agree with much what, what Laura said. Uh, a better place? Well, I, I would be happy if we could say we, we are able to prevent catastrophe. Uh, and, uh, well, a really going down of our uh, economies and societies of polarization. I, I see all that being possible. And uh, uh, there is, it might be difficult. And it might be in the short run only a sign of will, as you said, Law, but there's no alternative that the two leaders of our two countries come together and uh, find a common agenda. And, and that is, the, I think, the strong appeal where we both agree. We both do not want to, to be against the US. We understand the importance of it right now, but uh, we want to be more than facels. We want to be partners, serious partners. And the precondition, I completely agree, is strength uh, and uh, building up our not only military forces, but basically our economic forces again. Whether that is possible or not uh, remains to be seen. I, I would also tend to be more pessimistic, but there's no alternative for anyone who is politically responsible to, to try his utmost. Thank you both for the past hour. I've just finished reading a book whose title might apply to this situation. The title of that book is, Things Are Never So Bad That They Can't Get Worse. So I'm afraid that that does seem to be where we end up this hour. Again, thank you and thank all of you who have spent this past hour with us. Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Nyarkos Foundation.